All right, let's bring him in now. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, the draft analyst. Obviously, a busy weekend for him. Going to be an early, uh, a busy week early next week for him as well. So we appreciate Sam taking the time. Uh, here we are, Saturday, Cos. What are you expecting uh, to, to see out of the first round Tuesday? Is there anything that could dramatically change in the next couple of days to to kind of change the, the tone and the tenor of the first round? I don't really think so. I mean, a couple of things have come up. Uh, Justin Barron is one player that I think uh, for most of the year has been projected to be a number one guy. Had some blood clotting issues back in December. Had surgery to get that sorted out and recently had another procedure to make sure uh, that that's not going to be an issue moving forward. So I think for a while for me, he slipped out of the first round and I think he's made his way back uh, into the conversation. We had him on a Zoom call the other day and he had great mobility in that right shoulder, and that was the area in which the procedure was done. So it looks to me like he's going to be uh, well on the road to recovery. And as a big right shot defenseman, is a really good skater. You know, there's obviously uh, value there. Yeah, Vyaroslav Askarov, the, the Russian netminder, I think he's going to be in there to shake things up. I think there's going to be a team really anxious to jump up and get him, and I think that conversation starts as early as the Senator's second pick at number five. And then you have Hendricks Lapierre, who going into this year was a, was a no-doubt top 10 guy, uh, but because he's had head and neck issues that have really extended for the better part of two years, people were wondering if he'd be healthy enough and got through four preseason games in the queue at two points per game there and then opened up the season with a bang with four points and a 5-2 win last night. So if he looks like he's going to be healthy moving forward and the neck head issues are, are in the rearview mirror, He's a guy that also could shake up that top 10. So I, I'm really keeping an eye on, on those three guys for sure. Sammy, we just had Craig Custance on from The Athletic, and, and he said he thought the draft started at number four with Detroit. Uh, and he also sort of mentioned Jake Sanderson, who I know you have in the number four slot on your final rankings. I'm just wondering what you saw in Jake to have him move up that much, and uh, do you think Detroit will take him in that slot? Okay, so I, I, I want to clear something up first. The, the, the rankings came out, and the rankings are basically um, my view that if I were a GM, this is how my top 31 would look. On Monday, there'll be a mock draft, and they are entirely different. There are definitely similarities, but they're different in that in a mock draft, you're thinking along of what that team is going to do and try and predict that some circumstances don't always say, hey, pick the best player or you know, they need positional needs. So it will change a little bit. So I'm just going to explain to you right now. In my mock draft, I have Cole Perfetti going to Detroit. I've had it that way since August 10th when it was determined that Detroit was going to be fourth because I think there's a lot of synergy there. We can get back to that uh, in a little while. But Jake Sanderson is the guy in question here. So when I look at Jake Sanderson at the start of last year in the under-18 program, he, he's a guy that realized that we don't have that same skilled group as the old ones with all the rock stars, you know, seven of them uh, out of the top 15 picks in last year's draft. So we're going to have to win in a different way. We're going to have to be a meat and potatoes team. We're going to have to grind teams down. We're going to have to be a really good defensive team. And so I think he looked at that as being a captain and, you know, having those intangibles and, and said to himself, I'm going to be the leader in that department. I'm going to play tough. I'm going to play physical. I'm going to be greasy in our own end. And I'm going to take care of business to help out our goalies and to help us win games with a defensive mindset. And then as the year wore on, I think he looked at his club and he said, well, you know what? I'm probably going to have to help out on the offensive side too. So I think kind of knowing him the way I do, he accepted the responsibility of saying, all right, I'm going to have to produce a little bit more from the back end. And then we started to see an offensive side that 
many people probably didn't think was he was capable of early in the year. By the end of it, he had just started to get rocking and rolling in terms of his production. And now people are saying, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to be a two-way guy. He's got size. He can skate. We're looking at the National Hockey League playoffs, and we're seeing the Alexiaks and the Heiskanens and all of these types of players, the Seth Jones, the Warenskis, who are bigger guys who can skate, who can produce, who still can take care of their own end, and seeing what kind of value they have playing you know, anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes per night. And all of a sudden, you have this meteoric rise to the top. So I do think Jake Sanderson will be the first defenseman selected. I think there's a really short gap, I mean, really like millimeters between he and Jamie Drysdale. But in my mock draft, I'll have Cole Perfetti going four, Sanderson going five to Ottawa with their second pick of the first five. Sportsnet Sam Cosentino joining us on air. Uh, you mentioned the synergies with Detroit and Cole Perfetti, and we know that Steve Eiserman will do his own thing. We saw that last year when he took Moritz Sider at six. Um, expand upon the synergies and why you think Detroit likes Cole Perfetti. Well, Perfetti for me is, is regarded as a top 10 player no matter what happens. In terms of his creativity and his brain, once he gets past the blue line, the offensive side of it, there, there might not be a better player in this draft class. So he's definitely deserving of being in the conversation, while some people might think it's a bit of a reach. But when you have a general manager who has the opportunity to see players in their own backyard, and Steve Eisenman would have had that opportunity to see Jake Sanderson in the same vein, but you know they took five defensemen last year, including Moritz Sider. I think they've taken eight over the last two drafts, one of which has been moved. So I think they're pretty good in that regard. So let's get back to this conversation about being a forward. And I look at the Anthony Mantha, the Dylan Larkin, uh, these types of players who, you know, they're really good goal scorers. But this would be a guy that I would project within two years would be one of those playmakers who could be a dual threat guy, who could get the puck to those guys, yet also still offer you the, the goal scoring ability, as evidenced by his 37 goals in each of the last two seasons. When talking about the synergies, I look to the Saginaw spirit. Part ownership of that hockey club is Jim Devolano, who, as we know, is a very high executive in the Detroit Red Wings organization, and Chris Osgood, Osgood, who would have played with Steve Eiserman. Then I look at a guy like Chris Draper. His off-season trainer was a guy by the name of Pete Renzetti. That's the same trainer who trains Cole Perfetti. I look at the Billet family, the Bordeaux family, really popular in Detroit circles. Um, and this is uh, the father, Brandon Bordeaux, is really good friends with a lot of those old Red Wings, whether it's Osgood or Detroit, Draper, whatever the case might be. So when I go back and I think about Mitch Marner being selected by Mark Hunter at fourth in that draft in Florida, he knew the player so well that he had no other choice but to go with him. And I think the same situation is going to exist here between Steve Eisenman, Chris Draper, and Cole Perfetti, that they know the player so well, not just what he does on the ice, but how he conducts himself away from the rink, that I just think it's too hard to go past them there at four. Cause you mentioned Hendricks Lapierre, you mentioned Askarov. Um, you look at the players that have actually been able to play over the last couple of months here, more recently in the last few weeks, uh, versus the players that haven't been playing. This obviously is a totally unique circumstance with the draft taking place in early October as opposed to June. How has that impacted the way that front offices and scouts are going to evaluate these players when there is uh, a select few that have been able to play, whether they're in, in Quebec or whether they're in Europe versus the rest of the prospects that, that haven't been able to get a season going. And just obviously the circumstance that the draft is taking place three months later than normal. Yeah, no question is it's a, it's a unique situation. And so 
I, I do look at guys that can really benefit from it. And for me, that's uh, Lucas Raymond, although he probably didn't have far to go. He's in top 10 guy all day long, but played on Forlunda's third line last year. Didn't really get the minutes to prove what he could do. He did so with his age group, as he's always done, while really playing a year below his, uh, a year above his age group. So those questions were answered in international play. So now he's first line for Forlunda. He's getting power play time and already two points in two games to, to kick off the season for him. The most important, I think, is Anton Lundell. Here's a guy that, myself included, questioned what his offensive upside would be like. He's already played two years in the league against men. We know that typically, in a very basic analytic note, that league numbers do translate to success at the National Hockey League, whether it's Miko Rantman or Alexander Barkov or Jesperi Kotkaniemi on a more recent basis, uh, Patrick Laine. Those guys who produced well in Liga tend to produce well coming over and playing in the National Hockey League. So, you know, when I'm talking about Lundell, he had 13 points in 11 preseason games in the Liga. I think he scored in his first regular season game in the Liga. He's wearing a letter at this age already on a men's team. So I think there's a real uh, opportunity for this guy to improve because I had him in that probably 10 to 13 range. He may very well now work himself inside the top 10. We talked about LaPierre already. One other guy I want to point out would be Jeremy Poirier. He's a left shot defenseman, about 6'1", 185, 190 pounds. He plays for the St. John Sea Dogs. He had to undergo a, a coaching change with the Sea Dogs last year. This year, Greg Gilbert has come in. And, and I think Jeremy Poirier, when I look at simply his skating, his shot, and his hands, they're all top-notch. They're all amongst the best in class in this draft class. However, playing defense and taking care of your own end of the ice is kind of why you're being looked at. So he kind of gives you a lot of those really good attributes that high-end forwards have, yet the defensive awareness is something that needs to be worked on. Enter Greg Gilbert, new sheriff in town. Here's a guy who's had all kinds of success. Stanley Cup was a player, coached forever in the National Hockey League in the CHL. He's a guy that I know for sure is going to hold Jeremy Poirier responsible for taking care of things in his own end. That improvement has already started. I talked to Gibby there about a week ago, and he said, oh, yeah, you should come out and see him now. He already looks like a different player, and we still have a full year ahead of us. So he's another guy I think that really benefits from playing in games right now. And, of course, if you're scouting, you can't close your book on guys. The more information, the better. And so no doubt everybody's taking note. Sportsnet Sam Cosentino joining us on air, Sportsnet 650. Sam Izzy touched on it, the economic uncertainty and the pandemic and the effects that that has had. I'm just wondering how that affects the draft this year, how it affects some of the teams that have multiple picks. I look at teams like Ottawa, New Jersey with three. The Rangers have two in the first round. Even a team like L.A. who has three second-round picks, they've got two third-round picks and two fourth-round picks. Just wondering if you know what the impact is and how it can be I guess, weaponized and take advantage of during such an unprecedented time? Well, that's it. There's a couple different elements to answer this question. And the first that you have to look at, especially in the high-end part of this draft, you have a lot of late-born players. What does that mean? Well, that means players who are going to be 18 or 19 years old already. So essentially, in the CHL, they will have had three years, like in Alexi Lafreniere. Um, And what that says to me is you're obviously closer to realizing your NHL potential. What does that mean in terms of what we expect to be a flat cap world in the next three to five years is that you could potentially have one of these players come into your lineup and impact your team 
yet do it at an entry-level salary. And I think that's really key, especially for those teams that are up near the cap. The next part is the draft picks. Of course, they're especially second-rounders. They're massive, massive currency. But I think they're going to be a little bit harder to part with this year than maybe in any other year. And the reason I say that is, A, we have depth of draft that I believe extends to 50. But B, the 2003 born group, which are the 2021 draft eligibles, there's not going to be the kind of opportunity to scout these players, even near the same as what we saw with the O2s, who we know their season was cut short. So you take away the Halenka Gretzky, that's usually the base point for starting your scouting with, you know, you get all the international teams and of course you get Canada's team there. And so that is not going to be an option. That event was canceled. Then I look at the world junior A challenge. Typically you get five or six guys in that tournament that are in and around that first round. That opportunity will not exist with that tournament having been canceled. And then whatever, whatever other cancellations still take place, not to mention the WHL and the OHL, have not yet started to play. So the options to see those O3 guys is going to be really, really challenging. Those options are going to be limited. And so what does that say? This is the devil I know, the 2002, the late 2001s, this year's draft class. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me to part with those picks, knowing this class as well as I do, and knowing I'll have less information on the class upcoming. Give us a sense of what viewers can expect on Tuesday with a, a virtual draft, Sammy. Yeah, so we're going to be working uh, in our studios at Sportsnet, uh, socially distant, of course. Uh, Jeff Merrick, myself, uh, Brian Burke, uh, the addition of Mike Fuda to our panel should be should be fun because of uh, his, you know, recent uh, viewings of, of this draft class. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to, to kind of hunkering down on that. Elliot Friedman will also be part of things as we try and dissect what teams are doing, not just draft-wise or trade-wise, but even some free agent stuff that might occur during that time period. But the way it's going to play out for us is that we'll, uh, Bill Daly will be at the NHL Network in Secaucus, New Jersey. He'll be at the podium, so to speak. Um, he will require the team to make their pick. Most likely, there'll be a camera in that team's war room. I know the NHL has tasked each individual team with being as creative as possible so that when the camera does pan onto that war room, that it's clearly identified as that particular team. So looking forward to some creative ways in which the teams are going to make that happen. And then at that point, I think there's the expectation that there will be a camera in a lot of the prospects' homes so that you can still get that tug and that kiss and that elation of being drafted because these guys are being ripped off from that big stadium experience. And then once that happens, they'll throw it back to our panel for us to discuss uh, who the pick is, why the pick was made there, so on and so forth, and then it'll be a wash, uh, rinse, and repeat throughout the the final uh, 30 picks after Alexi Lafreniere is taken. Well, uh, we're sure to to be watching, and we're sure you guys are going to do a great job with it. So uh, enjoy the couple of days that you have ramping up before that the, the big one on Tuesday. And, and thanks a lot for taking the time, Sam. Okay, Izzy, Alex, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Take care.